I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I'm your host today and I'm joined by my two esteemed colleagues, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyro Marshall. Now you might hear my voice. It's not as beautiful Jordy Best today. I'm still recovering from a weekend in Milan. Samuel, what did you get up to and have you had a good week? I've, I've been at uh, games, I think, whilst, whilst you've been at a, a game. It looked like Galavante. you were at the, uh, the San Zero. Yes, yep. yes, indeed. Uh, but other than that, it's 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 been a busy week with with deadline day and and uh, and, and other newsworthy matters of course and Tyrone, how are you yeah. i'm good thank you Stephen. i'm good i like your efforts to claim that you're still suffering from a weekend in milan <laughs> rather than tuesday night at the big market but um <laughs> i'm sure we'll come on to that yep of course um we'll get stuck into that a bit later on the podcast united will play newcastle in the final of the carabao cup later this month but we'll just start off with the big breaking news from Thursday afternoon. Uh, Greater Manchester Police announced that criminal proceedings have been discontinued against Mason Greenwood. All charges have been dropped against him. Now, we're not going to get into this too particularly uh, for legal reasons, obviously. But uh, United did respond a few hours after that was announced. I'll just read the statement for anyone who hasn't saw it. So, Manchester United notes the decision of the Crown Prosecution Service that all charges against Mason Greenwood have been dropped. The club will now conduct its own process before determining the next steps. We will not make any further comment until the process is complete. Now, Samuel, you were obviously at the press conference on Friday. We are recording on the Friday afternoon. You've just come back, hence your attire. Um, what was said at that press conference? Because Ten Hag was obviously going to be asked about the matter. He was. I think the first three questions were about Greenwood and he, he said he couldn't comment he wouldn't comment which wasn't a particular surprise uh, given that the club put that statement out yesterday and they also clarified that the Greenwood won't be coming back to training and he won't be available to play either so there's there's not a lot else that anybody can really uh, do on the matter now uh, obviously yeah, the, the, the charges have been dropped against him so uh, in certain sections of the media there might be different coverage but I think for the time being, given that United are conducting this process before they did, deter- I think in their words, it was determined the next steps to take after that process has been completed. And there's no time frame on how long that will take either. I think at that point, people will be able to uh, be a bit more open with, with their opinion on, on the matter because there, there has to be a decision made sooner or later. 
that's all we'll see on the matter for now on this podcast. Um, we'll jump into the football stuff. Obviously, a busy week, as we've just touched upon in the introduction. We had deadline day on Tuesday, then Manchester United defeated Nottingham Forest on the Wednesday. But we'll start with deadline day tie. Obviously, I came back from Milan, unpacked my bags, and I was back on the on the computer for deadline day. It was busier than expected, wasn't it? Uh, Marcel Sabitzer obviously came in. What's your verdict been on the window? Because we've had Jack Butlin come in, we've had Walt Weghorst and Sabitzer. Do you think it was a good window? And I guess, what would you rate out of 10 if you had to? Um, I, I guess around eight, eight. Eight, eight to eight and a half out of ten, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it was a very professional window from from United. We were talking about this at the game on Wednesday, and if you'd, have, I think six weeks out from the start of that window, United and John Merchant recruitment team would have said, "We're not, we're not doing anything. January is going to be quiet. Nothing's going to happen." And in the end, they signed three players, but they signed them out of necessity, really. I mean, I was, I was joking in the office on deadline day that. United have had to react. They've had to be reactive in this transfer window and have had to be reactive to essentially Martin Dubravka, Piers Morgan and Andy Carroll. That's what's essentially kind of caused to the issue. What Dubravka a trio. wanted to go what a trio indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean there's never a movie made of this deadlift this um <laughs> of this transfer window. I mean it won't be a thriller for starters, but I'm not sure who's gonna play who. Um but you know, that's that's what caused the issues basically. If if those things hadn't have happened, United wouldn't have signed anyone. So they've had to be reactive. Dubravka wanted to go back to Newcastle. Ronaldo did what he did. Andy Carroll, you know, crunched Ericsson and had that bizarre performance on on Saturday. And because of that, they've they've had to dip their toes into the market. And Butland for Dubravka's like for like really. We've we've covered that. We've talked about Veghorst. Not like for like for Ronaldo, but in terms of what they were giving this season, probably not too far off. He's proven already he can be a decent addition. And then Sabitzer on deadline day, I think that's as good as you're going to get when you get you know, 48 hours noticed at most really that you need a midfielder and you've got no money, which we've, we've been over that previously as well on, on podcast that not only did not plan to sign anyone, but they didn't have any money to sign anyone. So they've had three curveballs thrown at you, like had to make three signings on a very limited budget. And I think to end up with Butland, Weghorst and Sabitzer is probably as good as it could have got really in terms of straight loans. There's no obligations in there. Loan fees are pretty small. Wage packets are all very manageable, and I think they've they've come out of the window as well as they possibly can, given that it has it you know it has tested them really it has tested Murta and the recruitment team to have to react to those situations. The Ericsson one right at the end, so yeah, I would say, you know, it, it feels strange to be giving a window where United signed Butland, Vegorst, and Sabitz are a, a high number, but in terms of the way the club have conducted themselves and, and reacted to those situations. I think it's got to be a, an eight, eight and a half, really, because they have they have come out of it well. When in reality, it, it could have gone against them. They could have ended up with no striker. They could have ended up with no Ericsson replacement. They haven't done. They've got a decent enough squad to go into the rest of the season now. So, I think you'd have to say it's been it's been successful. I'd have to agree with that. I think that's very fair. Um, obviously, Zabitza came in late on deadline day, Samuel. I think you wrote a piece along the lines of Manchester United actually acted like a serious football club. Uh, on deadline day with the news of obviously Christian Eriksen's injury so could you give a bit of insight into how that deal happens because fair play to the club they reacted quickly and, and got the deal done with Bayern Munich when Ten Hag spoke at the press conference on Tuesday uh, the news came out shortly after that about Sabitza so clearly before that press conference took place he'd made the request to the uh, to the board to, to John Murta it's not like he spoke to us and 
I don't know, got got pessimistic vibes off journalists and decides, oh, I must sign a player on the back of that. But it was a very quick turnaround. United said it was done within 12 hours, which is is pretty good going. It helps that they've always had a good relationship, by and large, with with Bayern Munich. And also the agent, the player and the club were all in in unison on on what what was best for for Sabitza. And Sabitza was up for it, which made things a hell of a lot smoother occasionally or more often i suppose um with with a transfer deal someone will have you know have an issue of some sort but that enabled them to do it very quickly and i i agree with ty in that it's it's been a successful window and that they have got the deals done very swiftly butland came in i think four or five days after dubravka was recalled uh, i think ty wrote about their course that approach was made before United played Burnley in the League Cup on December the twenty first. So they he he was a duck that was lined up early, so to speak, by by Ten Hag, and that looked pretty complex on on paper, given that he was already out on loan. But in the end, he was signed on January thirteenth, I think was the date. So again, a swift deal done. And then of course you've got uh, the the online crowd who, who think that it's it's been a bad window or that United should have spent as much as Chelsea, uh, who are completely detached from reality and how transfer windows work and how United work. I mean, it's it, it's as if they've written off the fact that, or completely forgotten or choosing to forget that United spent more than £200 million in the summer window and two of those deals were bankrolled. Now, I know United did need to spend that amount in the summer, but that was always going to compromise what they can do now. And since then, of course, it's come out that the owners are looking to sell up. So they're not going to be spending a hell of a lot of money in January. And I, I don't think that was necessarily an issue, really. I mean, the the, the quality of the players is a bit so... It, the quality of the players has got gradually better. Butland has been a backup goalkeeper for the last four or five years, it feels like. Uh, Veghorst is an average striker, but he has different attributes to United's other forwards. He's clearly going to be a backup to Anthony Martial now that Martial is fit and provided that Martial does stay fit. And Sabitza, whenever I've watched him, has always I've I've always been impressed by him. Um, I thought when Bayern Munich signed him, you thought I, I thought at the time typical Bayern Munich. That's a good, you know, it's a, it's a good addition. Uh, there's clear clear foresight there. So for United to have got a quality player like that in at the eleventh hour. Is good going. So some of the pessimism that um, has been forwarded to me, I, I'm I'm completely, you know, completely gobsmacked by. I, I think one of the sample comments was because uh, clearly someone was moaning about that United took as long as they did to sign a midfielder, even though Ericsson's injury was what it was on the Saturday. The deadline day was on the Tuesday, and they said, "Oh, but, but yeah, they they knew that Donny was injured uh, at the start of the month." Well. Whoever said that Donny Van Der Beek was a, a key injury? I mean, he was. I think his his status in the squad was reflected by the fact that there was no real rush to go out and and get a replacement in. And I know Ten Hag mentioned the other day that Van Der Beek was injured, so that was factored into it. But his injury was inconsequential. Um, Eriksson's injury was was significant, and they did need to do something there. And of course, the fact that McTominay is out for a number of weeks as well um, made it even more urgent. But Ericsson was the key injury there, and to to be honest, I'm I'm not being, yeah, this is not me being in in Pravda mode at all or anything. I mean, all of us on this podcast have been extremely critical of United. The the way I always say it is that the Emian is the most critical of United, and it's also the most praiseworthy when praise is deserved. 
we've all you know done pieces um lambast in various aspects of the club we don't need to justify ourselves in that sense at all but when united have done something right they deserve to be praised and i thought they they got the window uh pretty spot on in the end so you know these these fans can carp on all they like but um they're lucky that they they got three signings as it is i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. After 10 minutes in, Ty, so we'll actually talk about some football on the pitch, should we? Because there was a game on Wednesday night at Nottingham Forest at Old Trafford. United are through to the final of the, the Red Bull Trophy. Oh, sorry, sorry, the, the Carabao Trophy. It's the Carabao. Um, there was goals from Martial and Fred on the night, 5-0 on aggregate, so a very, very comfortable two-leg result. Were you surprised in how comfortable it was across those two games? And did we learn anything from that, apart from getting Man United for the fans? They're in a final. It's a great deal for them. Um, I, I'm not sure we learned too much from from Wednesday night. Well, I suppose there was a couple of... of interesting-ish tactical um, tactical things. Uh, Samuel will probably know why I'm laughing here. Were there? But, um, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Ten Hag was asked about post-match and the, you know, playing Sancho as a number 10 and moving Fernandez to the right, playing Lindelof as defensive midfield, both things that Ten Hag kind of hinted at could happen in, in future going forward. Certainly the Sancho as number 10, I think, is interesting. He did play there a fair bit for, for Dortmund. I don't think we'll see Lindelof playing instead of Casemiro very often, but it is an, an option to give him a rest for 10 or 15 minutes in games, I guess. But over the course of the 180 minutes, I don't think we learned much apart from the the golf in class between newly promoted Nottingham Forest and United is is pretty big. Forest are missing some some key players. Not even Dean Henderson was was obviously a blow for them. Um, second leg, they missed more than Gibbs White. Then had Lingard injured in the warm up. I think that was a a huge blow, but had Morgan Gibbs-White been available, I don't think they were going to win 4-0. I think the game was, was already over. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think we'll learn much, apart from United, are turning into a very good, very professional team. They are they are making light work of these opponents. The games, are, especially at Old Trafford, the games are just very drama-free at the moment, which is unprecedented, really, in, in recent years. They're on this 12-game winning streak at home at the moment. The vast majority have just been comfortable wins really 2-0 to what 2-0 3-0 3-1 you know there's been no thing that's off me there hasn't been much drama in those games much late drama it's all been fairly serene and, and that's what it was like home and away the away leg they started well scored first took control and beyond that Forrest never looked like getting back into the tie really um so yeah just very you know very very simple it didn't really feel like a semi-final at all to be honest 
especially the second leg, um, nothing happened until those substitutions on the hour mark, really. We were saying at half-time that you don't, as, from a writing point of view, you didn't want Forrest to be 2 0 up and causing you any headaches, but at the same time, it would be nice for United to have gone and, and, and killed it off. It took them a while to do, but yeah, it was just supremely routine, really, and it... it Partly, I think this was didn't feel like a semi, and partly the sort of mentality of United now that even the final whistle, there was just a few handshakes, claps to the crowd, off we go. And, you know, you can you compare it with St. James's Park on Tuesday night when Newcastle, I think they might still be doing a lap of honour. Um, that PA system turned up to 11. You know, it it looks like, and I know there's more emotional factors with Newcastle here in terms of not getting to a final for ages and things like that, but it looked like the final was the, the end goal for Newcastle and just part of the journey for for United, did, really. Did they play um, the Saudi Arabian national anthem as well, Stephen? Can you can you confirm? <laughs> uh, no comment. Um, I'll just say to the to listeners, if you're watching on YouTube, go back and Tyrone's answer there. Listen very carefully and watch Samuel's face. If you can notice the the moment that Samuel smiled, um, just go back and have a look at that there. Um, Fred and Casemiro started in midfield. Samuel uh, with Bruno Fernandez. Tenag said at his press conference today that Sibitza will be involved against Palace tomorrow. Um, going forward for the rest of the season, what midfield three do you think is likely to start the most? Do you think we could see, because Eriksen was undroppable almost, do you think Sibitza could kind of take up that role or do you think we'll see more of Fred? Well, Sibitza's more attack-minded than Fred, although Fred has probably had his best run of form for United as as an advanced midfielder. He was, he was one of the few who emerged from the, the Rangnick reign with, with any credit. Uh, Rangnick seemed to settle on Fred playing further forward, uh, being being the best use of him. And he, he had a number of good games there and he became more of a goal threat playing that way as well. And I think he's got four goals already this season. He's he's had a he's actually had a good season where he's not been as overexposed as he was uh, un, under previous regimes. I think United probably better maximised him as, as a player and, and his limitations haven't been as as obvious because he's not necessarily been used sparingly, but he's been used at the right times. He, when he's coming on in games, he's having good impacts. When he starts, he's he's usually performing bar the aberration at, at Brentford, I suppose. So I think he's got enough credits in the bank to to keep his place until really he he loses form if if that does indeed happen or um, there's there's a call for rotation. I mean, United are playing Leeds next week, and Fred scored home and away against them last season. Leeds, I know they're under a different manager now in, in Jesse Marsh, but they're still a very porous team. So I think Ten Hag would be inclined to to keep Fred in for for those games. But then, as I mean, ties down the piece today, and we've spoken about it a hell of a lot in terms of the games coming up. It's it's impossible to be starting players um, in 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 all of those games. There there are very few I think who can really withstand this this taxing period that's coming up a few of us spoke to Fernandez in the the tunnel the other night and he he again conveyed what he said before that he's he won't be happy if he isn't starting games he said he's not happy if he doesn't complete 90 minutes and that's that's the right mentality to have but as a manager you've got to be quite sensible with that and Sabitza it, it helps that the balance of the midfield is 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 aided I think by him coming in because he is probably a more attack-minded midfielder than Fred. Fred is slightly more attack-minded than Casemiro and Casemiro is one of the still one of the best attacking midfielders yet is also probably the best defensive midfielder around. So just going off those three, United are in 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 a good place there and and obviously McTominay 
I think he has been found out this season, but as a squad player, he's he's fine and it doesn't sound like he's going to be out for too long. Ten Hag spoke about weeks. He, I think he did mention one, two or, and, and three in the sentence, so it's unclear exactly how long McTominay will be out for. But for now, I think Fred, given that he's he's been a pretty good player for United and also, as, as Ten Hag noted, he's he's got a very good rapport with Casemiro from... The, the, the number of times they've played together for the Brazil national team uh, to the point that it was, it was slightly surprising that Fred didn't start the World Cup in midfield for Brazil, then logically you'd go with them to uh, for, for the foreseeable and upcoming games. But it'd be interesting to see how Sabitzer is integrated into the team and what kind of impact he makes um, going forward. Now, Tyrone, I messaged you before the podcast, I messaged both of you and we were discussing briefly the running owner and Ty, you made a very good point about the fixture list in February. And um, My birthday is in this month, so just that's worth remembering amongst all the busy fixtures. Um, but United have six games, including obviously the weekend's game against Palace, league up to the final, and Newcastle have three. Um, United also play Barcelona in the second leg of that Europa League match three days before the final. So it's not going to be an easy month. Do you think the squad has the, the depth and the quality to kind of survive that period? And what are your expectations in the cup competitions and the Prem and just for February? Because it's, it's going to be tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a really difficult month. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. When you think, like you say, I think it, it, you know, it's eight games in total from the one they played on a Wednesday night to that final. Leeds twice, Barcelona twice, ending in a final. It's, it's going to be really taxing, taxing and... You know, Samuel mentioned the piece I wrote before. I, I said if they finish, I mean, if February was to end and they were third in the league into the Europa League last 16 and winners of the Carabao Cup, it would be a, a phenomenal month, really. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's no doubt about that. They've got two very winnable home games in that in the Premier League, Palace and Leicester, which the way they're playing at Old Trafford should be relatively comfortable. But even, you know, even the Leeds doubleheader, Leeds are, in, I guess you have to say they're in a relegation battle again, but... They're always hard games against them. They're a hard-running team. They take a lot of energy from you. And for United, they, those games obviously come with an edge. <clears throat> Excuse me. To be playing them Wednesday and, and Sunday is is obviously a difficult back-to-back fixture list. Um, at Tanag was asked in his press conference on Wednesday after the game about playing Barcelona on the Thursday and then the final on the Sunday. And I think we know enough by now that he's not the type of manager to, to cry an excuse, and especially before things have happened. And he kind of said it's all about attitude and mentality and did mention that he, he'd had that before with Ajax and they they played the Dutch Cup final after they'd won at Tottenham in the Champions League semis in, in 2019 and won both games. That was a Tuesday-Sunday turnaround, but at the same time, the European game was was away, whereas United is at home this week. I think he made three changes there and I think what we're probably not going to see during this month is wholesale changes. I think it's pretty clear now he doesn't do rotation for rotation's sake. I think we were all stunned to see Casemiro play on Wednesday and to then play 80 minutes. Um, you know, he, this player to it just seems they're essentially undroppable. So if we see rotation, I think it's going to be one or two changes here and there. It, it's fortunate that the, the squad does look a bit stronger all of a sudden. Sabitzer is that fourth midfield option, but beyond that, they're, you know, they're still stretched a bit in midfield. Attack is clearly a lot better with Martial and Vegos now fit. Sancho coming back you throw in Garnacho and you've got two players for every position there as well as Palestri and Alanga so there, there is enough in the squad now I think to, to rotate same with Wambasaka doing well as, as backup for Dallo but I'm just not sure we'll we'll see that much of it I think it will be a case of 
asking for more and more and more from the players. And, and in that answer he gave on Wednesday night, Tenag basically said of, of the final and playing three days before round that you can do it, but it's about attitude and mentality. And that's the type of thing we've been hearing from him all season, really, that if the players have got their attitude right and their mentality right, they can do it. And I think that's going to be the message during during the eight games in, in this month. But it's certainly going to be the hardest month of the season so far, no doubt about it. I think you're right about Leeds. Whenever I watched them this season, I thought they'd been all right, but they just don't pick up results, do they? They still really win games. Now, in the marsh, it's a shame Bielsa's uh, not still in charge because they were whipping boys for United, weren't they? With, with Bielsa, it was 6 nils and 5 nils, whatever the scoring was. Well, the goals would always flow. Um, Samuel, if we look at the cup final itself, obviously, Wembley, the 26th of February, I've got that date saved, so you better believe it. Um, it's a huge achievement to get to a final in your first season in charge, but... Tenag and Luke Shaw both talked after the game and they said, look, it doesn't matter getting to a final, you need to win it. Um, but what would it mean for Tenog to win a trophy in his first season to end the club's trophy doubt? Because it's been far too long, hasn't it, since the club uh, won a trophy in, in 2017. That That's it. It's just ending that trophy drought. Uh, that's probably the most important aspect about it because it's not, it's not a coveted competition. It's not seen as a competition that... Is, is particularly meaningful to United. It's become more meaningful to them in the last 16 years or so since they won it in, in 2006 because, again, there was a mini mini drought at the time uh, back in the days when if they didn't win a trophy in the season, it was an end of days, really, and that that, that had been the case in 04-05. So in the 05-06 season, they treated the League Cup a lot more seriously than they had done in the majority of previous seasons under Ferguson. And... I remember Ben Foster, who, I mean, he, he retrospectively admitted he just didn't have the right mentality to be a Man United goalkeeper. And that was one of the reasons was because when they did win the League Cup in 2009, he made a save in the penalty shootout from Jamie O'Hara. He got the man of the match. It was, this is how long ago it was now, it was seen as quite revolutionary that as he was preparing for the shootout, the goalkeeping coach, Eric Steele, showed him uh, Tottenham players' spot kicks on uh, an iPod as it was back then I don't think iPods even exist anymore and that was seen as real ahead of the curve technology and obviously he was basking in the glow of winning his first trophy for Man United and being man the match and I remember he gave an interview retrospectively where he said um, sorry later on I think it was after he moved to Birmingham and he was he said how shocked he was that there wasn't an open top bus parade because they'd won the League Cup uh, now United because of the the council, a pretty bitter council as well, uh, the previous year didn't even do an open-top bus tour when they won the Premier League and the Champions League. So the League Cup is just it is seen as another fixture, as cliched as that sounds. Obviously, it is a lot more important this season than it has been in previous finals. As far as United, yeah, finals and the League Cup go for them. Um, it's difficult to think of a more, a more significant one, and that's because of the trophy drought. So... At the risk of uh, quoting that the, this means more guff from Liverpool that they've they've seemed to have copyrighted, it, it probably does for Newcastle because they they don't get to finals particularly often. This is their first final since ninety nine. They've not won a major trophy since um, nineteen sixty nine. I think it is. Uh, it's interesting symmetry that their last final was against United at the old Wembley as well. So. There's there's a lot more going on at the Newcastle side of things than for United, and that's that's despite the fact that this is still the, by far and away the best chance United have of winning a trophy this season. 
but it's all about just ending that drought as soon as possible because if it gets to six years or if it goes beyond six years, then you're in the territory of it being us guys writing this is their worst trophy drought since between the European Cup in 68 and winning the FA Cup in 77. And of course, that period included a relegation. I don't think United are in in danger of getting relegated anytime soon, but they desperately need a trophy in as, as quickly as possible, a, a new attraction in the museum. And of course, it you know, I think if they get top four this season without winning a trophy, you can say it's a moderate success. But if you've got Champions League qualification with a trophy, it's an undeniable success. And Ten Hag is clearly very driven to achieve that. It should be a cracking atmosphere, I think, at Wembley uh, later this month and a cracking game. In terms of what we actually are expecting from the game tie, um, both sides really well defensively drilled, solid at the back. I think they've they've both got 16 clean sheets uh, apiece now, which is actually the joint most in Europe's top five leagues. So that shows the kind of job Ten Hag's done at the back, especially after last season. And of course, Eddie Howe in the North East. Um, so what are you expecting from the game? United are obviously heading into it favourites. They've, they've got the tournament pedigree, so the competition pedigree. They've got the history on their side. So do you think it's a case of, you know, the trophies coming back to Manchester, dare I say it? Uh, I don't think it'd be that easy, to be honest. I think we've all seen what playing Newcastle is like for, for big clubs this season. Um, we saw it at United when they made it. I think the last thing to stop United winning at Old Trafford. Saw what they did at Anfield, um, saw what they did at Arsenal. It's you know it's not a pleasant experience. Ed, Eddie Howe at Bournemouth was basically a, a team who played good football but were a soft touch against against the bigger sides. And then he's had this time out of the game has has been to see Diego Simeone Atletico and Atletico and basically produced one of the biggest heel turns since Triple H. Um, you know it's it's absolutely <laughs> bizarre really the way they've. The way they've just changed and become this horrible, spiteful, time-wasting team, and you know, fair play to them. It, it's getting results, and it's you know, you're no better than me, Stephen. But it's uniting the fan base against them, especially at a time when you know, Samuel mentioned the Saudi Arabian national anthem before. Everyone suddenly has a reason to dislike Newcastle, and legitimately, as some might argue. Um, but how is is kind of fostering this spirit of us against them, and everyone's out to get us, and you're seeing it on the pitch with the way they play and especially against big teams we saw it in the semi-final and second leg against Southampton I mean the amount of time wasting at the end was tedious um, it was brilliant and it's just it's just not what so you Nick, expect Nick, from an Eddie Nick Howe Pope you. <laughs> Nick Pope Nick Pope's he's, incredible he's, 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 yeah. he's worse than Tim he should he's be worse England's than Tim number one Samuel England's number one yeah. you're correct Samuel well done he's the he's, time wasting he's a good, he's a good goalie he is a good keeper definitely um, so yeah I don't you know, I don't think they're going to go to Wembley and make it an, an, a nice experience if, if Manchester United want that trophy. I can see it being a very tight game and I think we've seen enough for Newcastle this year to know that they can they can compete with these teams on their day. Yeah. Like we say, they're going to be backed by a loud, a loud following there. It's going to mean an awful lot to them. So I don't think anyone really thinks it's going to be a, a walk in the park for, for Manchester United. Yeah, I could see a very similar game to the nil nil uh, in October. Lord Trafford, to KG, it was tight, and I could see that again at Wembley. Um, it has the makings of extra time, Samuel. certainly. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I thought that. I said that.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, Crystal Palace tomorrow at Old Trafford, three o'clock kickoff. You'll obviously both be there in the press box. We've talked about the lessons uh, from the Nottingham Forest game on Wednesday. United played Palace as recently as last month at Sellers Park. That was obviously 1-1, conceded incredibly late in the dire moments of the game. I think it was a Michael Alise free kick. It was a fantastic free kick. What lessons do you think Ten Hag would have learned from that game going into this weekend? Well, it was interesting today that he was more critical about that performance than he was at Selhurst Park at his post-match press conference. He he described it as a bad performance and said that United were 90% at it, um, which you know, it, it, on another day it might have got a bit more traction, but it's clearly the case of that he's he's gone through the game and he's analysed it and he's probably seen a lot more things that he disliked than he saw at the time. And look, they were far too casual in that second half. They they got the goal at a brilliant time, but they were complacent uh, for what, almost the entirety of the second half until Elise scored. And then United were were direct and and almost and could have uh, got a, a late winner for that opportunity for Casemiro. But it was just peculiar that their game management was a case of well, we're just going to keep the ball. We're going to um, not not be particularly creative not overexert ourselves and you can't you can't do that and and palace got a lift from from the substitutes that that Vieira made and in the end you couldn't begrudge them their their equalizer because united had completely invited it um onto them and th- there was no point again some some united fans i think were complaining about certain decisions in that game but ultimately when when you go to Palace and you're in that situation, you're in that position where you're one nil up at half time, and they must have had over sixty percent of the ball that evening as well. Uh, they they really did throw it away, and that was I think that for United that must have been the more galling sorry galling of the two results that they had that week. Given that four days later they they conceded another late goal at Arsenal and, and lost that game, so they've got to learn the lessons from from that one. Uh, Palace have had a reasonably decent record at Old Trafford in in recent years. They've had a couple of uh, very good wins there. Uh, one one of them without a crowd present, so you have to caveat caveat it with that. But uh, they they can be a pretty difficult nut to crack. They're not they're not really a pushover as such. I don't think and they haven't been for for quite some time. But it is a game that you expect United to win. There might have to be an element of patience as there was in the first half at Selhurst a couple of weeks ago. But they did get the goal just before half time. But they just need to be a lot more ruthless and. Um, and, and, and clinical with their opportunities, and they're still they're still not at that level. They didn't necessarily need to be against Forest, but probably that first leg with that late Fernandez goal that's that's as ruthless as United have got all season because the Fernandez goal that that killed the tie. The the second ninety minutes were were complete irrelevance. There was there was not as, as Ty said earlier. If if you were tasked with writing five things we learned, you you would certainly not be uh, headlining it as five things we learned. In regard to the team selection tomorrow, then Ty Martial's came back uh, in midweek. Ten Hag said after the game that look United are a better team when he's fit and when he's in the side. 
you think he'll start over Whitehorst and Diego Dallo is back in training? Juan Basaka has done a, a decent, very good job in the last few weeks. Is it too soon to put him back in? And then lastly, just to end the wider picture, looking ahead, obviously we've discussed February. The bookies have made uh, United heavy, heavy favourites for top four. Is it that simple? And, and would you kind of agree with, the, with that kind of price? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if they don't get top four from here, the way they're playing and just the, like I said, the, the professionalism of their performances at the moment. I think they they look like a top four team. I think they'll probably finish third. Um, I, I would think that, as long as nothing drastic happens, I would think that's in the bag. Um, in terms of tomorrow, I'd start Martial after after Wednesday in that half an hour and yeah. and take Vegos out. Vegos has been throwing in at the deep end, really. Um, I think I'll stick with Wambasaka. Dallow's not played yet. He can come off the bench and it always feels like a good horses for courses selection for Wambasaka against Palace. I know I think Saha's not playing tomorrow, but it, it kind of got lost in the aftermath of that Palace game. But that tackle he produced on Zaha in the 95th minute or whatever it was, was amazing, really. And, and Zaha's post-match reaction on, on Sky Sports when he was asked about it was yeah. it was brilliant. And even without Zaha, they've got Alise and, and Eze. They've got some really dangerous wide players with, with quick feet. So I think Wambasaka probably makes sense, really, when Dallow's still building up his fitness. And you, know, you, you asked Samuel about it before, but... On Sabitzer, for me, that I wouldn't be starting Sabitzer. I know Ten Hag kind of teased the possibility in his press conference, but he's played one minute since November. I think Ten Hag said he's had one training session. It would, it would feel like madness, really, to throw him. <coughs> excuse me, to throw him to throw him straight in on, on the back of that when his game is about energy and and pressing and closing down. So, um, so yeah, I think maybe the only change in in that regard then for me would be Martial coming in for Vergost. Do you agree with that, Samuel? Because I've got a feeling that. All three of our teams might be the same come Saturday morning when we do our our panel. I've already I've already submitted mine just for the record. <laughs> I, it, it probably will be as as, as Ty said, uh, w- where it's such a taxing month. It, it would be illogical to put Dallow back in when he's, he's probably had about two or three training sessions yeah. at the very most this week. So Wambasaka is, is is fine to continue there. The midfield two is unchanged. The the attack. I mean. Ten Hag can can pick his his first choice attacking quartet now, um, and and there's there's good depth there as well. Uh, where you've got Sancho back, and I thought Sancho was pretty bright in the week. It was good to hear United supporters uh, chant his name. That never happened before, so he had a good good ovation. He looked happy as well, uh, which is an important thing because Ten Hag he obviously said it. There were physical issues, but he also did allude to to mental. Um, matters as well so uh, to, to see him happy is is it's just a, you see anyone happy that's positive so uh, to have him as as an option to potentially come on and be a game changer is is a bonus and so despite issues in the squad uh, that United have countered with with some of the signs that they've made in in the winter window uh, they should still field a very very strong team at the weekend also probably one of their stronger benches uh for the season they've almost everyone is, is practically an international Wambasaka is probably the only one who's not attained a cap at international level I would think so yeah I, I imagine it'll be a clean sweep in terms of our 11s it's it's gonna be um it's, it's be, would, would that just be one change I think it would be wouldn't it if it's Marshall coming in for Veghorst oh sorry Rashford coming in as well so yeah, those mm, two coming yeah, in and, and De Gea, yeah. obviously. As much as Tom, sorry, I even said his name there. As much as Ty and I like Tom Heaton, I think we'll both be uh, picking De Gea for Palace. 
a collector's item then where all three of us agree stop the world I want to get off it's actually <laughs> happening guys on, the, on Saturday <laughs> Saturday morning uh, thank you very much Samuel thanks for your time thank you Stephen and thank you Tyrell thanks Stephen pleasure as always and for listeners if you head across to our YouTube channel like subscribe leave a comment we've now surpassed a thousand subscribers so thank you for the support over there take care thank you very much Thank you.